Come on, amen? amen. Our God is with us. And there's not a single one of us that don't go through the fire, that don't go through the flames, that don't experience the kind of oppression or persecution that this world intends for each one of us to taste, to be a, a part of it. And our God is a delivering God, and you need to realize that. We need to understand that, that our God is a God who loves us and cares for us, and a God who will come and move into the midst of it. And listen, if it, if it so be that God would deliver us from the flames, and our God is a God who delivers us. But listen, even if the flames don't stop, our God is a God who promises to walk with us through the fire. Our God is a God who promises to walk with us through the flames. And we come out with the bondages that we came in, burned away. But we are protected in Jesus. Our God is an awesome God. And our God, and even though in, in the world we live in, we will all experience the kinds of flames and afflictions that, that we go through. I, I can guarantee this, that there's not a single person in this place that isn't in the midst of some sort of affliction, some kind of fire, whether it's emotional or spiritual or physical. There's not a person in here. And listen, maybe you go, well, I'm not really. Well, you know what? That's probably because you just came out of one Amen. or you're about to go into one. But our God promises that he will never leave us. And I do believe this. I believe that the message today is something that will speak to each and every one of your hearts. In each and every one of our lives, there's something that we can relate to, something that the scripture has for us. How many of you know that the scripture is not something that was unique just for me or just for one person? That God today doesn't want to come into this place and just speak to a handful of chosen our God wants to move into this place today and by the power of the Holy Spirit to come into this place and speak to each and every one of us. If our ears are open, God is speaking to us. Are your ears open? Do you want to hear the truth? Do you want to come to the truth of where you are? See, there's a big difference in where we want to be and where we are. A lot of us, we, we tend to think that I'm so close or I'm so this or I'm so that because of the things that we do. And I want you to know that those things, that doesn't determine much except for your attitude. God wants to speak to you today. Do you want God to speak to you? Look, if God speaks to you, He's, he's going to bust, he's going to break down the normatives that you've created in your life. God's going to come and change your life. He's going to come move in you. I'm not sure what's going on, but <laughs> you don't need to see me and I can shout loud enough. So don't worry about whatever happens. We're going to have church. Amen. amen. We're back to studying Luke. We're going to continue in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to go back into chapter 7 and begin to look at the first 10 verses there. Turn in your Bible there. If you, if you have the church app, you can open that up, and you can find in the media, there's a sermon notes, and you can open that up and follow along. All the scriptures are there. The notes are there so that you can take this with you and look at it later. And, uh, you know, let God minister to you. I want to just take the, an opportunity first just to read through the scripture. Are you ready to hear what God has to say? Amen. But God is his And therefore, God wants to speak to you. And he's going to right now. So open your ears to hear 
what the Spirit of the Lord has to say through the written word. Verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. In fact, the, the Greek, the, one of the definitions of the Greek word there for highly valued is precious. I guess with him being a centurion, they didn't want to use, he was precious to him. But... Verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they had, uh, came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built us our synagogue. Verse 6, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from home, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourselves, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did, not, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Verse 8, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word, Lord God, shares your will with us. And I pray today that you would open up your word that's been released into this place to find its home in the hearts of men and women. If through this place, Lord, for every ear that was opened, let your word, Father God, bring life and liberty, everything that you sent your life to be. Let there be salvation. Let there be, uh, Lord, renewal. God, let there be revival. Let your word do what only your word can. And every other word, let it fall to the ground idle. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So we're, we're in the story. We're in chapter 7 here. We've been, we took almost two years to go through the first six chapters. We're going to go through this. I want to break this down over the next few weeks and, and take a look at the people in this story because I believe it's super important to us to, one, understanding the, the people and the lives of those in Scripture, but also then for us to relate to those that are in the scripture. So here we see Jesus and he has been traveling and he's been going around from synagogue to synagogue and he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been in the streets doing all sorts of signs and wonders and miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick. Uh, and, and so he, at, at this point, he had been basically kicked out of Nazareth. He'd been rejected from Nazareth uh, because, again, the people just did not believe that he truly was who he said. And so, sadly, they rejected him. And now Jesus is coming to Capernaum where he has set up his, his basis of operation. It's where he went out of. He set up basically his home here in this place. Now, Capernaum, I talked about it a little bit before. I'm just going to recap a couple of things. Capernaum was a small town. It was not a big town. It wasn't a big place. At this time in Jesus' ministry, he was going to these little towns and little synagogues 
Unlike when we were talking about in Revelation where these towns were big and large and the churches were being put into these places, Jesus was traveling about in these little towns of, uh, of you know, small population, living in small houses. Their, their houses, again, comparatively speaking, were very small compared to the churches that we saw in Revelation. Most of the people in these little towns were farmers. They were fishermen. They were poor people. They didn't have a lot. Very few were educated. There was only probably in, in a town a handful that might be able to read. These, this is a, I want you to see these people. They're simple, hardworking, but poor people in, in that time and in that era. And it's amazing because this is who Jesus came to. This is where Jesus brought his ministry. He brought his ministry into these people's lives, these simple, hardworking people. So we see today, and it tells us that Jesus had been out speaking, and he'd been on a, a preaching tour, basically, and he'd been out teaching people and speaking and preaching and doing all of those things. And now he comes back into Capernaum, and he's confronted with a situation. And in this situation, there's a man who's suffering, a man that's sick, a man that the Bible tells us he's near death. And, and again, this is understanding when there's something that medically we can trust that because this was Dr. Luke who was writing this. Dr. Luke, who was also the, I mean, this man was an amazing man and he was hired as an investigative reporter by Theophilus. We studied this at the very beginning. And he was hired to do an investigative report by Theophilus, a Greek man, who was hiring him to find out is what is said about Jesus true? And so he went out and did all sorts of interviews and went out, and that's exactly what he did. And the result of his, his investigation was the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And so Dr. Luke, he's giving this, this okay, this guy, you know what? Yeah, he was near death. And I want to get to know this guy a little better. I want us to talk about him. Over the next few weeks, I want to get to know these characters that are in the story because it's important. We need to go a little beyond the surface and get a deeper dig into who these people are and how, why does Jesus minister to them the way he does? What goes on in this whole thing? But before I get to that, let me just say this. That, that first, that, that sin and, and sickness and suffering the kind of sickness and suffering that ultimately ends in death. Church, we need to know, none of that was part of God's original plan. None of that was something that God had as a plan in creation. None of it. When God finished his work, we see this in Genesis. He went through creating and did what he did. Jesus was there, the Bible tells us, as God, and he was in this portion of creation, and he was creating all of these things, and he created the earth. He created the heavens, the Bible says. He created man. He created woman. And then he looked at everything created, and it says in chapter 1, in verse 31, it says that he looked at everything, everything, he didn't say some things. He didn't say part of it. He didn't say, oh man, I messed up over here. He looked at everything. Say everything. everything. He looked at everything and he said what? That it was very good. Everything was very good. Everything. You know what that means? Is that means that they're in this place of everything was very good. That means they didn't need to lock their homes. In fact, they didn't even need locks on their homes. They didn't need police departments. They didn't need hospitals. They didn't need ambulances. They didn't need 911. They didn't need soldiers. They didn't need a military. There, they, there was no sickness. There was no sin. There was no suffering. There was no, no death. 
Come on, amen? amen. God made everything very good. And we sin. And when we sin, when we sin, in came everything very bad. And I want you to understand that because it's important that we understand the root of where these things are. There's a lot of people who blame God for this, that, and the other thing. And the enemy loves that. If he can get you to blame God for what he did, he's won two victories. So church, everything that God created was very good, and sin brings in all this that's bad. And in this scripture, we meet this man, he's a, and I'm calling him the suffering servant. One, because he's, he's suffering. This guy is in a difficult place. He's living in this world just like we do, this world of imperfection, this world of sin, this world with a fallen nature, and the result is that there's lots and lots of suffering that happens in this world in which we live. Well, this man was suffering in this world, and, and the Bible tells us that he's even near death, which means he can't get up. He can't go to uh, where Jesus is. He can't go because he's bedridden. In Matthew, Matthew's account of this story says that the man was paralyzed. So he couldn't even get up and go to Jesus. He was in his final moments of life. Church, some of you have been there. You've been at somebody's bedside in the last moments of their life. You've been there when they suffered and when they went through some difficult places. You watched somebody that you love die and you were there with them in the last moments. And church, I want you to see that that's where this man is. He's in that place. And there's not a one of us that isn't approaching that day. Church, if the Lord, unless the Lord, I mean, if the Lord should tarry, we all have this in our future. Thank God that he defeated death, hell, and the grave and made a way for those who call upon the name of the Lord and receive him into their heart for the forgiveness of sin that we have got a, an eternal home with him that no man can take away. Amen. Praise God for what he's done for us. But church, as far as this world's concerned, all of us are approaching that day. And some of you may, and again, as I get older and older and the aches and the pains and all the difficulties that come along with these broken down bodies, man, some of us are more aware that our time could be shorter and shorter. Some of you that may be difficult, going through and experiencing some difficulties, God bless you, <laughs> may feel your time to be very short. Some of you may know some people that you love and care about whose times are short. Some of you may have sat with somebody that's approaching death. Well, I want you to see that this man is in that place. This, this suffering servant. The doctors have done everything. The family, the friends, they've done everything. The centurion, he's done everything he can. And there's absolutely nothing that could be done apart from a touch of the grace of God to bring healing into his life. His end was to die shortly. He was suffering. And he was a suffering servant. Not only was he in physical pain, but this man was a servant, which means he was essentially a slave. And a slave, they are, in, in the social order of things, they are the bottom of the barrel. This guy was the bottom of the bottom 
A slave had no rights. A slave had no, they, they, were, they just were pieces of property. That's all that they were. And in this social order, that's where he was. I know there are some of you that may feel like you're in that place where you're in this forgotten position in this world and you feel like the bottom of everything because you just can't seem to ever get a hand up or can't ever seem to get out of this place that you're stuck. And maybe maybe it doesn't have anything to do with finances, but maybe it has to do with your spiritual condition where you're just stuck in this place where you feel like you're at the lowest of low. Maybe it's an emotional position. The, this guy, if this centurion, for the, the, the centurion that was the owner of this suffering servant, if he had been a bad master, you realize he, he would have been treated as property. He would have been treated like a pet or an animal, a farm animal. <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> He, he would have, which meant this, that many masters may have just put him out of his misery, may have, as we talk about with dog, may have just put him down, yeah, put him down. But Jesus, but Jesus, we, we find he still, even though this man was in his suffering, he was the lowest of the low. Isn't it amazing that we find that Jesus is a God who loves him still and has compassion towards him? I just I emotionally want you to put someone in that position where you could see, man, how, the difficulty and the devastation of knowing somebody and loving somebody that was in a place like this. I tell you, one of the, the great, and I'm not one of, the greatest struggle that I have as a pastor is being aware of, and, and again, it's a privilege to do this, but it's a struggle to walk with people through the most difficult times of their life. I, I've been at the bedside of dozens and dozens of people and, and as, as life drained out of the body. I just spent this week with a woman in her, a young woman who's struggling in, the, in her physical being and to sit in the hospital and to watch what the suffering that she's going through is difficult. It's hard. It weighs on me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. The emotional impact that it has on me is, is really hard. It's difficult to go through that and to just walk away from it and not think that it has a, 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 an impact or leaves an impression is hard. The loss and the heartache is difficult. I'll tell you what, one of the things, and again, you can judge me if you want, but you'd be in the same position. One of the things that's the most challenging is to walk into a situation like that and then in my flesh to feel so absolutely inadequate to do anything about it. And again, I'll come back to this, and, but that's the feeling that you get. And that is a, is a burden that weighs on you as you go through this to see the pain and the heartbreak that people are going through is heartbreaking. And some of you know that struggle. You know that struggle in a personal way. You know that because you've been there. Maybe even for some of you, you are there. You're in that place and you're suffering as this servant did. In church, I'm going to say this a number of times. That may be physically, that may be emotionally, that may be spiritually. 
But I will tell you that, that the physical part of that is most of the time not the most painful. And nor is it the only thing and the only way that leads to death. So church, this relates to each person. So you've got the suffering servant in this story. And then some of you may be in the place of the centurion, the, the, the owner of this slave. But I want you to see this guy for who he is. I mean, he's someone, I mean, you maybe in your life there's someone like he love and that you care about, someone that is suffering, someone that is having a hard time and your heart is burdened for them. You, you feel for them. Well, this man, this servant, the, 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 the slave, he's at this place where apart from a miracle, he's going to die. And he can't even get up. He can't even go ask Jesus for a miracle because he can't even get out of bed to get there. I know there's people that are struggling in that place, in that place of depression or anxiety where, you know, I can't even get out of my bed to get there. Some of you are here today simply by the grace of God. It's not because you had the will to get up. It's because God had the will for you to get up. And if it wasn't for that, you may not even be here today. But God wanted you to hear this. And he brought you here. No matter what your circumstance, God brought you here. And, and I want you to find great encouragement with this. You got so far in this story, you got the servant. The servant didn't know, he was not a follower of Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. And you got the centurion who sent for the religious people to go get Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. The Bible tells us he just heard about Jesus. There's a lot of people in our world that have heard about Jesus, but Galatians tells us that it's very important that we don't just rest on the fact that we know Jesus, but what's more important is that Jesus knows us. Does Jesus know you? But you see, neither of these guys were followers of Jesus. Yet the centurion, and I'll talk more about him next week. The centurion was a, I mean, he was a good guy. He loved this servant. He loved this guy. Now centurion, he was a commander. What centurion means was this was a man who commanded a hundred others. He was a commander in the army, a military leader. He was, he was a, a guy's guy. He was somebody that men would look up to. Somebody that men would go, wow, that, that's the kind of guy I want to follow. And they would look at this guy, and, uh, and that's what they would see in a centurion. Now, again, I think, uh, as I was reading through that, thinking about this guy, I thought, man, it's sad that what we see in Christianity today is we see Jesus portrayed in such a way that Jesus is, you know, he's a good fit for women and children. But he's not always a good fit for men because men, you know, we really want war. We want, we want to fight. We want battle. We want struggle. We want these things. We're not interested in men that aren't willing to go into battle. We want that. That's why we have so many soldiers, so many warriors. That's why sports amongst men is so, I mean, to play and to watch. It's a, mortif it's a modified form of battle. Business. It's a financial form of battle. And we go into those things because men like conflict. We like combat. We like things that fight, things that are doing that because we want to conquer. And the Jesus in Christianity often is not portrayed in a way that would be acceptable or pleasing to men. 
We, don't, we see Jesus as the suffering servant. When the truth is, is Jesus laid down all that he had, all that he was, all of the glory of heaven, and he laid that down to come take upon himself flesh in this world. And Jesus left this world. He paid, went to the cross, went to the grave, overcame the grave, went back to the throne of God where he is now. And he's coming again, church, and he's not coming as a humble servant. He's coming as the king of all kings, the warrior of all warriors, the Lord of lords. He has the Lord on him. His name, his name, aside. And Jesus, listen, we don't always see the picture of a man's man with Jesus, but we need to. And this man here, this commander, this centurion, he was a man's man. He was a soldier. He was a Roman warrior. This man had gone into battle. He had all the cuts and nicks and all the scars of a a battle-tested warrior. And not only was he in battle, but he led others into battle. And it's who he was. So this guy, he was a warrior. He would have been, he would have been, he would have had money. He would have had prominence. He would have been an important guy. He was well known. He was successful. The Romans were were overseers, or, or honestly, they were the oppressors of the people of God, but they were, in essence, they were called to be the overseers of those in Jerusalem. And these Romans, man, they were oppressive over the people of God. Because they were a different people. They were a different race. They were a different lifestyle. They were a different religion. They, they were all of these different things that wasn't the same. The Roman Empire, it, it, because of their rulership over the people of God, they had the ability to be very cruel to the people of God. They, and they were very cruel to the people of God. But this guy, as we read through this, this guy wasn't that way. I mean... And I, I don't know in every aspect, but by all accounts, this guy was not a cruel overseer. He had love for this friend of his. He had compassion for him. It says he loved the people of God. He built the sanctuary. Look, church, do you have a friend you love that's suffering? Is there someone you know that's going through a hard time, dying? If you do, you can relate to the centurion. You can relate to him. The centurion loved his servant. His servant was sick and dying. This wasn't just simply a guy that was his own property or slave. This was a guy that was obviously like a brother, a friend, somebody that he cared about, somebody that he deeply loved. And he sends word, the centurion sends word, and he asks Jesus, he has Jesus asked, Jesus, I need you to heal my friend. I need you to do this. And, and the Bible says that he does this, which again, culturally, would have been in a respectable way for a number of reasons. One, because he was a Roman and Jesus was a Jew. One, because this guy was, he was very important. He was a political leader. And Jesus, honestly, Jesus was basically a homeless guy. He did this because he was not a worshiper of the God of the Bible. And church, Jesus is the God of the Bible. So he knows that it would be inappropriate. He knows that it would not have been, it would have been disrespectful for him to approach Jesus and to make such a request. So what does he do? He goes to the third people group in here. He goes to the religious people. 
He's friends with the religious people. He knows them because, again, he's built their place. And he asks them, hey, could you guys do me a favor? I heard that Jesus, this guy who's a leader amongst you, or at least you guys know him, but this Jesus, I hear he heals. Well, my servant, I love him, and I'm worried about him. He's sick. He's going to die. Could you go ask Jesus to come heal my friend? And they blow it. Anybody see a pattern with the religious people and blowing it? Tying it all together. Honestly, that's why, again, that's why we don't like religion, but we all have a tendency towards it. We all have a tendency in our life to fall into religious patterns. That's why we need to continue to be repentant of that because the religious people, and especially in the Gospel of Luke, read through the whole thing, look at the religious people in there. They were not friends of Jesus. Do you know who the friends of Jesus were? The sinners. The people that were struggling. The people that were having a hard time. The lost people. That's who the friends of Jesus were. And so these religious people, they, the centurion comes and he asks the religious people, are yeah, yeah, you know what? We need to do this for this guy because he's been a good guy to us. He's been a good friend. And so yes, we'll go to Jesus on your behalf and we'll ask him to come heal your servant. And listen to what they say to Jesus. They come to Jesus and in verse four, they say this, these religious people coming to Jesus, the king of kings, God in the flesh, and they say this in verse four, he is worthy to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. They basically go to Jesus and say, hey, um, Jesus, you really owe this guy. You really need to do this for this guy because, well, he's worthy of it. Because, well, Jesus, he's been nice to us. He's been nice to us, Jews, and he built our church. He paid for it. So you should do this. And you know what? Uh, That is the way in which religious people tend to work. Please hear me. For religious people, religious people, if they feel like they've done something wrong, they feel like they owe God. And so they need to pay God back. And we do that how? We pay God back through our good works. We pay God back by doing things. We pay God back. Sometimes, you know, our payback comes in purgatory. Our payback comes in karma. Our payback comes in reincarnation. Our comeback comes by by suffering. Or, Or that we have to, you know, when we leave this world, we have to live in a lesser heaven. And so those are the costs. Those are the things that we have to pay back because, well, I sinned and therefore I owe God. And if people then, the religious, do good in life, when religious people do good things, they feel like Jesus owes them. Well, God, you owe me. Religious people are always keeping score. I just got to make sure I got a little more good works than I do sin. I just got to make sure that God still owes me. And that becomes the basis of our theology. Our doctrine is built on that. I just got to do a little better than what I've done bad. 
And these religious people, they, hey, you know what? We looked at this guy. We know he's, you know, not a believer. We know he's a Roman, and, you know, but he's been nice to us. We're not Romans. He's a Roman, and he's been nice to us even though we're not Romans. And, you know, he's been kind to us. He built our church. He paid for all this stuff. And, you know, we just think that you should come and do this because, you know, he's been generous. He's been nice. He's been kind. Therefore, Jesus, you owe it to him because... He's a really good guy. And religious people tend to think that way. And even if you don't think that way today, you can know that you are a little bit religious if when you're suffering and you're going through difficulties in life, when, when things have happened and it's damaged your plans and, and, and what you thought to be the purpose, and you're going through something that's hurtful or harmful or painful, and you go through something in a life that's strife-filled, and you go through all of that, and you become disappointed with God. You become embittered at God because, God, you owed me. God, you did not deliver for me. I did all of this, and look at what you did. And you may not say that out loud, but any sort of bitterness or disappointment towards God becomes a declaration towards God that you did good, and he owed you, and he didn't come through when you really needed him the most. Because you assume, we assume, that God owes us. Church, God owes you nothing. God owes me nothing. Nothing at all. Listen, God gave us life. God gave us breath. He gave us this beautiful world in which he's given us to live. And what did we do? We sinned against him. We rebelled against him. We rejected him. And therefore, church, God is obligated to no one. God's not obligated to you. He's not obligated to me. But religious people, what they forgot and what they tend to overlook in that day and what we still, in, in the religious aspect, we tend to overlook today. We look at this whole thing and we, look, we think we got to pay God back. Church, you don't. We don't. They don't. You don't pay God back. You can't pay God back. Jesus does. Jesus pays the price. He pays the price. We get grace. That's all we get. We get grace. God doesn't owe us anything. Don't think that way. God doesn't owe anybody anything, yet he still gives us grace. And no matter where you are today, grace by definition is for those who are ill-deserving. That's what it says. Not just undeserving, but ill-deserving. There are some of you that are here today, and you are ill-deserving of the grace of God. Most all of us. We are all undeserving. We are all ill-deserving. While we were, were hateful towards God, he loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. That is grace. We don't, listen, what do we deserve? You deserve hell. We deserve hell. That's what we deserve for our, for our sin and for our rebelliousness. We deserve hell. But man, if we're not going to get... If, listen, everything aside from that, everything's from grace. <laughs> everything. We deserve hell, but anything else we get is grace. 
And I love the fact that these people, these religious people, they come to Jesus and they don't come in a way that's like gracious and, and you know, they, they come in a demanding way. They don't come and say, how oh, Jesus, we know that you're the healer and we know that we've seen you do these things and there's this man. Hey, we, w- would you possibly consider coming and, and working a miracle as we humbly ask you to come and to, serve, to, to heal him? No, what do they do? They come and they say, Jesus, you owe this guy. Hey, Jesus, you need to come because you owe this guy. So see this in the picture of this whole story. You've got the, 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 the servant who doesn't know Jesus. You have the centurion who doesn't know Jesus. And you've got the rich, the, these, these religious people. They don't know Jesus. Or at least they're not, none of them are following Jesus. And they come, one's got a need, one's got a friend, and one's got a demand. And what does Jesus do? He goes with them. He goes. There wasn't, he wasn't answering the prayers of a beloved. I mean, you've got three people in the story, none of them following Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Jesus goes into the situation. Let me tell you, there's hope for each and every one of us because of that. And he goes into this whole story because he's kind, because he's generous, because he's gracious, because he's merciful, because he's loving. He does all of those things because of who he is. And he comes and Jesus heals the man. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Especially when there's all these people that aren't followers of Jesus doing all these things and making all these weird demands. Why does Jesus do that? Because he loves us. Because he cares, church. I mean, it might be one thing for you to know in this world of of fallen love. It might be one thing for you to understand or to think, okay, yeah, I know God loves me. But do you know that God cares about you? Do you know he cares about everything that you're going through, everywhere that you are? Not just your spiritual well-being, but he also cares about your physical well-being. He also cares about your emotional well-being. He cares about you. And this is the reason, and I did word it this way on purpose, because Jesus loves whole people. Jesus loves whole people. God, listen, church, God loves you. But I want you to know he loves all of you. All of you, meaning he loves all of you. From the front to the back, from one side to the other, there's not a single one of you in this place today that can hear my voice that God doesn't love. He loves you. He cares about you. He longs for all of you to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord. He comes here desiring and longing to bring healing and to restore and to set free. Our God is an awesome God. And he cares about all of us. But he also cares about all of us, meaning he cares about me in my spirit. He cares about my emotions. He cares about my physical being. He cares about my health. He cares about everything. He cares about the whole person, and he cares about you. God loves whole people so much that he loves making whole people in every way. He loves making people whole. 
Yes, Jesus is certainly, obviously, concerned about our soul, and he desires that we would turn our faith towards him, that we could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that we could come to know the love he has for us. Church, let me just tell you, it's more important that you come to know the love he has for you than the love you have for him. We'll, we'll never be able to give more love than we've received from him. And so we need to understand the fullness of love he has. But I want you also to know that he loves you so much that he also wants your outward body to enjoy good health. He wants you to, and if that means miraculous healing, deliverance in you, then that's what God desires to do. But because of that, we should be longing to be good stewards of the body that God has entrusted to our care. We should want to be good stewards that we would, would take his word and apply it to our life so that we could walk in health. And then part of our ministry would be that we could go and we could begin to help others, that we could begin to minister to others, to go to minister to people, body, soul, and spirit, to go minister to the whole person, to go share with people the wholeness of God's grace and to the wholeness of God's gospel message. Dr. Luke certainly would have understood this. He would have appreciated that. Yes, it's good. Minister to the whole people. Go minister to them. Go give them the love of Jesus. Bring the love of Jesus. Bring the presence of Jesus into every situation where somebody is hurting and somebody is desperate and somebody is suffering and bring the presence of Jesus into the situation that Jesus might heal and make a whole in that person or a whole person. He desires to minister to whole people because God loves all of us. Now again, don't take me wrong in that. I'm talking about with all of our faults and failures and all of those things, God desires to make us whole because he loves us and he loves every portion of you. And that's why as Christians, we should be about acts of mercy. We should be about acts of kindness. We should be about charity. We should be about reaching out by grace to do what God's called us to do. God cares about whole people. And when we care about the whole person, when we tend to get out and minister to the whole person, God pours out this exceeding grace, this exceeding glory. He pours out this exceeding power, and he begins to do what we can't. He begins to multiply like he did with the fish and the loaves. And us, in all of our inadequacies, and in all the inadequacies that we might feel in our flesh, God overwhelms that in his power and in his might. And God takes our willingness to reach out, our willingness to go to the bedside, our willingness to do what we can and he multiplies it so that in our lack, in our feelings of inadequacy, God proves to be adequate. Amen. That God shows up and God begins to shine. And that's what Jesus does. Church, he cares for the whole person and he cares about all of you and he cares about all of you. He heals this man. Physically, he, he brings healing. He raises him up from the deathbed. I want you to know, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is a healing God. And there are some of you today that need to receive that. There are some of you today that need to step out and say, you know what? I want to go to Jesus. Worship team, would you come on back up? There's three people that I talked about in this story, and I believe that for many here, that there is much, uh, much of those in this place today can relate to the people in this story. I believe in this place today, there are people that are suffering. 
There are some of you that are suffering, and you're suffering in your body. You're suffering physically. You're suffering that you, you don't know how you're going to get through or how you're going to get past what's going on in you. There's some of you that are suffering emotionally. You're in the darkness of despair and depression, and you can't get out. You've tried. You've been to the doctors. You've been to the psychiatrist. You've been to the pharmacist. You've been there, and you know what? It has not helped, and you need out. And there's some of you that are spiritually, spiritually dead because you've never allowed Jesus Christ to bring life to your spirit. Or maybe you did and you walked away and for some reason in you, you feel spiritually just dead. Our God is a God who wants to raise the dead. He wants to raise those dead places up. And today, there's those of you that are suffering like this and we want to pray with you. I also believe that there are those, and again, let me just say this. I wrote this in my notes. And I, for those of you that are suffering, you need Jesus now. Not later today, not at life group. You need Jesus now. And there are those of you that are here today and you're like the religious people. You would come in here and you're like those religious people and you would say, you know what, I just feel like God owes me. I came here today because I felt God owed me something. God needed to provide something. God needed to do something for me because I feel like I've been a good person. I know I've, I've been nice to people. I've been nice to people in the church. I even gave a little money in the offering. So God, you owe me. Let me say, you need Jesus because you don't know him. All you know is religion and you have never been touched by the grace of an almighty God who loves you. You don't know how to, you've never received grace and therefore you don't know how to give grace because church, just like you'll never love people with a love that's greater than the love you've received from Jesus, you will never extend grace to people that's greater than the grace that you have received from Jesus. Have you received little grace or big grace? Church, let me just say, don't any of you walk out of this place today thinking that you're gonna stand before God one day and say, God, give me what I deserve. Don't, don't even think that for a moment, church. You don't stand before God. There's not a one of us. Don't, don't ask for what you deserve. Stand before God and say, God, give me the grace that comes through Jesus. If you've come into this place and you can relate to the religious. There's no condemnation in that. But the truth is, is that you need Jesus now. And there's also those in this place that are like the centurion. And maybe you've got a friend today that's struggling. A loved one that's going through a really hard time. A loved one that's suffering like the suffering servant was. A friend that needs Jesus. And maybe today, maybe today you need to seek Jesus for them. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Is there someone that you know, someone that you love that's suffering and needs Jesus? 
Where are you at today? Not your neighbor, not your husband or your wife or your kid. Where are you at today? Because that is where Jesus wants to minister. And I am just going to flat out say, you know what? The altar is open. And if you need Jesus, now, if he's spoken to your heart, then you need to get up and you need to get out of your chair and you need to come to the altar and you need to let some people lay hands on you and pray with you and love you and see Jesus imparted to you. Because Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So step out and receive what God has ordered for this day. Please don't anybody, don't get up and leave right yet. Church isn't over yet. Maybe if you don't need the altar today, maybe you need to pray for those who do. So we're going to worship. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to the heart of each and every one that's here. And that God, by your power, you would take our inadequacies and you would pour only what you can do through us. Today, Lord, we pray and ask for signs and wonders, for miracles. We pray, Lord, for those who would come to you today and receive you as Lord and Savior. We pray for those, Lord God, that are sick and struggling and suffering in their own body, whether it be spiritual, emotional, or physical. Lord, you're the God of the whole person, and you can do anything. And we thank you that today, Lord God, we pray for impossibilities to become possible, and that you would do what only you can. For those, Lord God, God, who are bound up in that spirit of religion. Let freedom reign. God, we thank you that you're a God who loves to come to us. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to the hearts of those that need you today. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Look, if you need the altar, get up. Come forward right now. Just get up out of your seat and just come on. Come on. We're going to worship and we're going to pray with you. As God leads you for prayer, uh, to, to pray, I want you to come and I want you to just begin to lift up those that are here today. Come on, church. Let's love one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's care for one another. Let's stand with one another. Come on, everybody.
Thank you, Lord. Come on, don't hesitate. If you need prayer this morning, come, come, come to the altar. Worship team's going to come, begin to pray with people. Come on, as God leads you, life group leaders, come pray with people. Come on, let's just love on each other right now. You feel impressed to pray? Come pray.